I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey listeners, today's special thanks goes to everyone who is kind enough to leave a rating on Spotify. In last week's episode, I asked for your help to get to a hundred ratings on that platform and you guys delivered. So thank you. You are awesome. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. We had in the first crossing some really ferocious weather and you know, to surf a boat down a wave, you know, and then have it climb up to the next crest. That was just incredible bioluminescence. You know, but the first time I saw that, I was just amazed. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. This week, a little bit of a different topic as we are talking about crewing on sailboats and superyachts. My guest is author Regina Meyer, whose book Change of Course is a tale of international adventures, sailing across the oceans, and a bit of a memoir of Regina's time spent living in Antigua. In this interview, I ask Regina about tips for anyone interested in being crew on other people's boats, how to avoid nasty surprises when choosing a boat to crew on, and Regina also reflects on the two sides of Antigua she experienced, living in a rural village with no electricity and working on a $50 million superyacht all within a few miles from each other. Now here we go with Regina Meyer, author of Change of Course. I read your book, and from the first words of the book, I knew I would like it because 
you said something about how your goal was never to live an ordinary life and that you had kind of a fear of getting stuck in a situation or a place. And I can relate to that very much. And I'm curious, has that feeling of not wanting to be stuck in a place for a long time gone away over the years? Ah, uh, no, it hasn't. It's really funny because I remember working in a job in Switzerland when I was, you know, uh, in my late 20s. And I remember talking to this man and uh, about my travel dreams. And he's like, oh, you know, once you hit 30, this will all stop. And I just remember looking at, at him thinking, you know, what do you know? And um, I sort of thought, no, that's not going to be me. And it really hasn't, you know, like I, ha I have, it sort of fluctuates. I have periods when I travel more. And then, of course, there's periods when I travel less. But especially now, I haven't really done much traveling other than domestic travel since COVID started. And I'm feeling a massive itch, you know, it's just, yeah, it's something big still. <laughs> Another thing that really resonated with me was that you were born in Switzerland, uh, but it felt that despite it being a great country, uh, something was missing. And I was born in Finland, and it's such a great place to grow up. Um, it's kind of like winning the lottery when you grow up in Finland, you know, healthcare, education, it's all free, it's good quality. Uh, but, you know, something was missing for me too. And I eventually left for Scotland to go to university and you ended up in Australia, um, where I too actually lived for a little while. So I'm, I'm curious, what drove you to Australia? Because that is a far distance from Switzerland. Um, I guess uh, I would say there was two major reasons for that. So uh, the first reason was probably um, my insatiable curiosity. You know, I wanted to really explore and travel as far as wide as I could. And um, we, my ex-partner Sven, who's also in the book, and I, we just returned from a trip to Australia and were living back in Switzerland. And I sort of thought, you know, we're heading up to 30. Now we get the maximum points for migration. And I sort of mentioned to him, you know, why don't we just give it a shot? I mean, we had nothing to lose, everything to gain. And that's what made this decision. Um, looking back, I also think the second part was probably the drive to get away from my roots. You know, I had a somewhat frayed relationship with both of my parents. And I think in order to um, make my own life, I had to gain some distance. And of course, you know, I needed the maximum distance in this instance. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I could relate to that feeling being from a small town in Finland where everybody knows who you are just because you look like someone, uh, you know, your sister or your brother or your parents is like, oh, I know who you are. So yeah, there's definitely uh, a big appeal in, in going somewhere far away where you can kind of start from new and nobody knows you and everything's different. And, you know, the, the whole sense of adventure as well. And that's one thing I, I really liked in the book is that it's, uh, you know, just full of adventure and uh, really unique experiences and you seem to have a bit of a like a a spirit of uh, adventure 
And I'm wondering, is that something you can cultivate or is that something you were just born with it that was there all along and you just kept feeding it? Well, it was really funny because um, I was wondering that myself. Um, and I remember at one point I uh, was on the phone with my mother and I sort of asked her the question because none, neither of my parents or really no one in my family that I'm aware of are travelers. And I said, do, do you know where that comes from? You know, maybe a grandparent that I wasn't aware of. And she just started laughing. She said, no, you know, when you were three years old, I caught you, you know, she was looking out of the balcony down onto the road. And there I was walking with a little suitcase in hand. I really don't know what my plan was or where I was heading, but um, I, it sort of helped me accept that, you know, I wasn't this weird oddity. It was just, who I was you know I I wanted to obviously learn and explore and it was that curiosity that drove me onward so yeah yeah and maybe curiosity is the driving force behind all of this like you said dude, you know it kind of drove you to Australia in the first place and then then further along to explore the rest of the world uh, uh, more and uh yeah it's a it's a really great thing to have especially when you come from uh you know, smaller place like, I mean, of course, Finland and Switzerland as countries are quite, you know, they're not tiny, but, and, but, and they're great places to be, but, you know, because you're always curious, you're like, what else is out, out there? <laughs> yeah. And also the confines of culture. I don't know how it is in Finland, but in Switzerland, like you mentioned before, it's, you know, there's a certain, you have to perform a certain way and you have to be a part of the system. And, I just felt like, why, you know, why can't I do something else? And then when I was old enough to make the decision, I thought, no, I'm actually, I'm reading books about other people that travel. So, you know, I'm going to do the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So obviously we mentioned that you moved to Australia and uh, the book kind of uh, focuses more on the time when you leave from Australia uh, to explore a little bit more, maybe figure out what's going on in your life and relationships and your thoughts about uh, all that. And uh, this is where the sailing part comes into play here. And uh, I'm really curious to hear about the sailing aspect that you had on this uh, journey of yours, because you have now a fair bit of experience of crewing on all sorts of different boats from different sailboats uh, to super yachts. And uh, of course, for many of us who are interested in sailing, being a crew member is a great way to get into sailing and get that experience without actually having to buy your own boat. Uh, so I would love to talk more about this and 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 you do talk about this in the book as well, but for the listeners' benefit, uh, maybe we can start with how did you find the crewing opportunities that you um, eventually got involved with? So I was actually in New Zealand at the time, and I just had this dream that I wanted to sail, but my partner got really, really seasick, so it was never an option. Um, and I was, uh, you know, to sort of 
helped me ease the itch I was reading sailing books and um, it was Chessy Martins one of the youngest people to solo circumnavigate the world I was reading his book Lionheart and there was a passage in there and he was talking about how he went to crawl on other people's boats to gain skills and experience and I can tell you something that paragraph absolutely blew my mind because I did not know up until that point that there was even a possibility to sail the world without owning a boat. And I had always assumed that, you know, wrongly, but I had assumed that to sail the world on your own boat, you have to also be rich. So, you know, I jumped onto uh, my laptop and I looked up uh, crewing websites and I found um, quite a large number of them some bigger ones some smaller ones and i put my profile up on quite a few of them and within days i got you know so many emails from the most exotic places um it was just really incredible i mean there was a man that was sailing from new zealand to south america a family in the pacific um, and eventually I settled on the boat in the Caribbean because that way I could absolutely maximize my time. Yeah, and I mean, you didn't have a, a ton of experience at that point. So I'm really, you know, surprised and you know, positively surprised to hear that you did get a lot of interest in, you know, your postings or your profile, even with like, you know, not being, a, you know, a certified yacht master or what have you? Mm. Well, in my experience, what I found is that people are looking more for um, attitude and motivation rather than experience because crewing, and I mean, I was only putting profiles up, up for leisure craft, you know, so for a holiday and people were looking for, um, guests or you know fellow sailors that would be willing to pitch in and help and learn about the sailing and I think sometimes it's almost easier also if you are new to cruising or the sailing industry if you don't have any preconceived ideas of how things should be. Yeah, that's probably true. And also it might be even easier for those who you are sailing with, because then you don't have, you know, those kind of habits or uh, mannerisms uh, sailing wise that, you know, they don't like, you know, they like, you know, things to be done a certain way. And because you haven't done it before, that's the only way <laughs> you know how to do it. So <laughs> that, that's an interesting point as well, for sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But I mean, obviously, you know, there are a lot of people out there looking for this kind of opportunities. Um, and it's not difficult these days with the internet and, you know, the world being relatively small in, in you know, travel sense. But would you have any tips for someone who is looking to be or become a useful crew member? And maybe particularly on how do you choose you know, if you have multiple people contacting you like, oh, come sail with me. So how do you choose you know, the boat and the people, because, you know, in the book, you talk a lot about this and we won't tell everything, but, you know, you, shall we say that you have a variety of experiences uh, with the people you sailed with. So how do you pick out the good ones so that you don't get into 
trouble later. <laughs> well, it, there's always a bit of a gamble to that. So um, what I probably would recommend to do first is what I did as well, is I, I did a basic sailing course. Uh, and that's purely for the reason, um, you know, before you spend all the money and travel somewhere, you want to know whether you actually enjoy sailing or not. Do you get seasick or not? Um, is If you get seasick, is it manageable? Do you still want to pr pursue your dream? So I think, that, you know, to have like just a handful of days of sailing experience, at least to give you a bit of insight, <laughs> you know, as is that really what you want? Now, once you're sure that's what you want to do, uh, you know, you sign yourself up like I did. Um, and then, yes, uh, I got a lot of um, offers. For me, a lot of the selection happened by gut feeling, you know, so you get an impression of a person uh, through your contact with people that I was considering closer, I would have Skype calls and, you know, sort of see them face to face. It's also not, not uncommon to ask skippers for references of previous crew, um, or you can even then ask to exchange documentation so that you would send a copy of your passport, they send a copy of yours. Um, one thing that I would definitely do if the boat is located in a, you know, relatively remote location is I, I, I would always meet or I would all, always insist to meet the boat in a port or a marina where there's other cruisers around just to give you sort of the peace of mind that you can settle in on the boat you can meet the people and if things don't pan out for whatever reason that you can actually leave you know I think that's imperative you have to give yourself time to um, feel comfortable and if it doesn't feel comfortable on a yacht within the first few days ask yourself is it just because you're you know, nervous about sharing quarters with someone new or if there's something more sinister, you know, going on, by any means, just step off. You know, it's not worth it. It's only going to get worse once you're on the ocean. Um, and I think also, you know, bring plenty of money. And I don't mean that you need to have loads and loads of money, but give yourself enough funds to have a plan B. So if you need to fly yourself home or you need to fly yourself to another country um, or you need to stay in crew accommodation or a hostel for, you know, a period of time that you can do that. So there's no pressure to stay on the boat where you don't feel comfortable. Um, and I guess the last thing is with boats, uh, also more time you know uh, often we are we live quite a fast-paced life my experience is boats are fickle things um, they depend on the weather and lots of things break down so um, plan plan a bit of extra time to allow for any changes in the plans yeah those are really good tips especially the one like you know allow a little bit of time and also allow yourself a bit of a escape routes in in a sense timing wise and also like 
physically make sure that you're not, you know, day two and you're in the middle of the ocean 50 miles offshore because you're already left. So um, that's just true to kind of uh, get a feel of the situation before you commit to, uh, you know, potentially weeks of crossing an ocean or, or what have you. And uh, you're obviously more familiar with this whole crewing on boats um, concept. So do you, are you aware of any sort of common pitfalls that might happen? Like what are the, you know, some common reasons where things just don't plan out? Well, I think, you know, people are people and uh, people have opinions and, you know, uh, we have different expectations. And I think it's fairly common, um, you know, for tensions to arise, like um, that's human. And I think if it's something that you can resolve it's not a big deal it's just you know I often compare it to non-sailors as if you were to book yourself into an Airbnb and you come in the hosts are in there you lock the front door and neither of you leave for two weeks you know that's an ocean passage and of course there will be tension I mean you know I have a funny story on the first transatlantic uh, crossing um, I went on deck with a tea and it was pretty rough day and I chucked the tea bag into the ocean and I must have chucked it into the wind which carried the tea bag onto the deck and I didn't see it and so the captain was next on watch and he saw a tea bag on the tea deck it was I think green tea bag but he got so upset and he started yelling at me and, you know, I started yelling back at him and, and we were both really upset. And, um, you know, what happened the next few days, we were just a little bit quiet with each other. And then it sort of, it, it came back. And I think that's also really beautiful to experience that you can have disagreements and, and, and you know, tempers can fly, but you can also come back from. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, yeah, you mentioned you did a uh, transatlantic passage or two, actually. And I mean, I think even just doing one is such a great achievement uh, because it seems like such a huge distance. And I'm curious if there's anything aside from that teabag incident that stands out to you uh, as, uh, you know, memorable experience in what, whether it's a good way or a negative way or just something that's stuck with you through these years. Oh, look, there's so many things, actually. I wanted to sail 
a major ocean. So when I when I had my sailing dream, it was never really to cruise among the islands. It was always about the open ocean. And, um, you know, it's just the first time when you only see ocean and there's no land for days or no other boat for days. And to see that the ocean and the sky, they constantly take shape, uh, they change shape, they change color. You know, we had in the first crossing some really ferocious weather and, you know, to surf a boat down a wave, you know, and then have it climb up to the next crest. That was just incredible um, bioluminescence. You know, but the first time I saw that, I was just amazed. Um, I think by far for me, the beautiful and moments and the mesmerizing moments by far outweigh any incident that was challenging. I did for a while consider just doing deliveries because I really, I love um, doing passages for that reason, just to have that infinite space, to be disconnected from internet, from anything, from culture, you know, from land life. So, yeah. <laughs> the second trip you did, the second ocean crossing you did rather, was the Atlantic Rally. And I've talked to somebody on the podcast who organizes these rallies and he paints a really lively and fun picture of what these events are. So I'm curious to hear your experience. What is the vibe at the docks and in the marinas when you're in the Canary Islands, I think where you left from, you know, there's maybe hundreds of boats who are leaving around the same time, all with the goal of crossing an ocean. So what's that like? I, it was really exciting like that that I would totally agree with what you said it's lively it's fun you know there's a sense of exuberance and excitement everyone's preparing you know I remember when we were provision, provisioning the boat and I was on a 50 foot yacht with some older gentlemen that owned the boat and we were so generously provisioning you know like we had stacks and stacks of fruit and vegetables and everyone else around us was doing the same so you really had this feeling of imminent adventure you know everyone was about to set off and of course the start to the rally was exciting because it is set up pretty much like a race and it, it is timed um, so all those boats are out uh, in front of Gran Canaria at the same time you know crisscrossing and of course there's the race boats right at the front and it was just exciting to be part of that and and to also do the radio roll calls every day to sort of hear how everyone's progressing, which yachts are nearby, and who's already arrived. And it must be such a great arrival as well. Like the departures, I'm sure, is kind of a, you know, exciting and kind of a party. But I think the real party probably waits at the, uh, the other end when you, you know, meet the people who you hadn't seen in a couple of weeks. And, you know, you've done something amazing. Yeah. That's right. And I would say that, that that's one thing for the sailing community. They're always good for a party. <laughs> and they're never dull. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is true. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, actually, speaking of parties, and, I, you know, we were talking about crewing a moment ago, and I think it's also important to remember you, you share a lot of good experiences or um, good advice throughout the book in this, through your own experience of occasionally just needing to walk away from a boat because it just didn't feel like it was a good situation to go across an ocean with someone. And we mentioned partying, and, and one of the instances you mentioned that, like, the boat was loaded with booze which is you know generally not necessarily a good thing you want to have in an ocean passage and on all that kind of indicators so it's probably a good reminder for anybody who's thinking about it you know be ready to walk away whether it's having that backup plan having the cash to go to a hotel or what have you and just you know maybe having some sort of i don't know standards or something that you're aiming for right I mean, you know, on the first boat I was on, for example, we, we did a walkthrough on the safety equipment. And I kid you not, but everything was expired. You know, the lifeboat, had, they have to be packed and checked regularly. That was expired. The grab bag, the flares, they were all expired. And um, I remember looking at that and I was pretty somber. You know, I was like, really? <laughs> And then, you know, I pointed it out and the captain said at the time, he's like, oh, you know, we're not going to sink. We're, we're not going to need it. And I sort of thought to myself, like, well, no one does, right? No one plans to sink their own boat. But um, so in that instance, uh, we actually did have a conversation about it. And all of the crew sort of got together and he did end up getting um the lifeboat checked and got some new flares. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. I, I honestly, I think, and there is a time in the book where I walk away from a boat and the boat makes it safe, you know, across the ocean. But you don't know. And if it, it, it's just for me as a rule of thumb, if you don't feel safe, you shouldn't go. You know, there's, a, there's another boat. Find one that you feel comfortable with, that you feel happy with. Um, also, tensions like that, you know, when you don't feel safe or you're not 100% happy, they will carry on and they will magnify throughout the trip. So it's not going to be enjoyable for anyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not going to get better if there's already a little bit of a, say, personality clash or something. It's not going to improve after three weeks yeah, in a boat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, another interesting part in your book is that you talk a lot about Antigua, where you spent a lot of time, and um, you went back there a few times as well. And I'm curious to hear about your experience in living in a, in a small sort of rural village in Antigua as the minority, as a white woman. And, you know, what were some of the occasions that made you realize that you come from a very different place of privilege than the locals do? Well, I, um, so I might just explain a little bit to uh, the listeners that, you know, haven't read the book yet. Um, so what happened when I was in, in Antigua, I uh, met a local man at a dance party on a cliff, you know, beautiful sunset night. And over the course of a few weeks, I fell in love. And eventually, um, 
um, my life took a complete turn. So the relationship in Australia fell apart and I ended up returning with the plan to Antigua to make a life there. And I moved into a tiny wooden shack, maybe three by five meters with no electricity, no running water. We had a pit toilet in the backyard and, you know, a rickety shed to have bucket showers. It was very basic. I was doing the laundry by hand. Um, you know, we had to cart our supplies on the bus. Um, it was a very different life. But what struck me was that within, you know, a few weeks of getting to Antigua, I managed to get a job. And with that came a motorbike. So I had transportation. And it wasn't lost on me that in the village where I was indeed the only white person, that, you know, not only was I probably one of the people with the highest pay job, I also was only able to work um five days a week whereas most Antiguans are required to work six days a week and um I had transportation it was one of the only motorbikes in the village or car you know there was maybe one or two cars not that many <laughs> and I just reflected on you know that simply having education and coming from a white background it just means that I stand a better chance you know and I can't deny that and that was um, also very humbling or the fact that you know my my new partner there um, Jay that I was welcomed in the village and there was no questions asked. I was accepted for who I was. And it wasn't lost on me that if I were to take him to Switzerland, it would be a completely different case for him. So, yeah, that was a, a lot of things in Antigua were completely thought provoking and eye opening for me. Yeah, yeah, it's such a such a different experience, but I'm sure also kind of enriching in many ways to, you know, it really opens up your eyes, I suppose, or, you know, opens up your own viewpoint to like, you know, to your own privilege, but also, you know, what the world is like in, in other places. But, you know, one of your jobs in uh, Antigua was working on a super yacht and that is quite the contrast. And I think that's what, you know, when I picture Antigua and, you know, all I know is, sailing and the regattas and the super yachts and the you know sunny climate i can't even picture antigua but you know it's the caribbean so that's what i picture is the super yachts and all that how did you find you know balancing that contrast of you know having that connection to the i don't know the real antigua or the rural antigua whatever we want to call it and then working for a non-antiguan essentially foreigner on a super yacht, like how that must have been quite the internal battle. Uh, it was definitely very interesting. So uh, when I got the job on the super yacht, I uh, moved onto a boat that was, you know, newly launched. It had only done its maiden trip from South Africa to Antigua. And, you know, it was a brand new 15 million dollar yacht and it was stocked with 
all the luxuries that you can imagine. And, you know, coming from the village where my partner worked and earned 100 US dollars a week to this, it, it was often, I remember it was like culture shock. You know the the sort of the the hard life and the this incredible opulence that was available uh, to the yachting industry. So that that took uh, some time to adjust. But I guess what helped that I was a stewardess. Um, so <laughs> a lot of people think super yacht works very glamorous. Um, let me tell you, it's not. They, um, the the <laughs> The uniforms are, you know, glamorous, but the job itself, I spent a lot of time on my knees, polishing and scrubbing, you know, bathrooms and making immaculate beds. Um, and that's kind of, that puts things back into perspective. Did you ever get a sense what the locals like Jay would think about? What do they think about the the contrast between you know, their own life and then all their all these visitors who come to their island, whether they're, you know, the mega yachts people or just your, you know, regular cruisers who also are just generally a lot wealthier than the locals. Did you ever talk about that kind of thing? I you know that that question is is kind of hard for me to answer because I can't speak for the local people. I know Jay himself didn't question it much because for him I guess his life was just that was his life and the yachting life was other people's lives and what each of them had you know was uh, pretty much none of his concern and he was happy in his life and I think oftentimes we associate you know more wealth with more happiness and that that's just not true um so for me personally, probably different story. I like I questioned, you know, if you have a boat owner talking about flying in um, lobsters or whatever, and I would go and visit Jay at the weekend where we would have, you know, we didn't even have a fridge, no electricity, right? So it was pumpkins and carrots and <laughs> whatever else we could find. <laughs> It's just completely different worlds. And they coexist. They co seem to coexist quite beautifully. Yeah, well, and that's the interesting part of it, uh, that they are both there and, you know, and in many other places as well, of course. Um, but you mentioned something about the super yachts that I thought that was quite interesting. It probably deserves a little bit of a highlighting that it's not as glamorous as it maybe sounds. But, you know, that's, you know, with that caveat, in case somebody is interested in this kind of line of work, you know, getting into the life on the ocean through super yachts, do you have any tips on how to get with that? Is that through the same kind of crewing websites or is that through some different platforms? There are specific uh, platforms for professional work. Um, and I probably would recommend to log on to those. But, you know, really what I would recommend and I have in the past, because I used to actually work in the boats here, on the boats here in Cairns. So, you know, of course, we're just at the doorstep for, uh, to the Great Barrier Reef. And I'd often would have, you know, some of the younger crew come up to me and say, oh, you know, what should I do? 
And I sort of think, you know, if you really want to work in the super yacht industry, go and get your STCW. Um, that's nowadays pretty much prerequisite for any sort of job. Um, and then again, save money and buy yourself a ticket uh, if you can, a return ticket to give yourself a little bit of a way out if you need it to either Antigua or St. Martin in the in November or early December, you know, for the beginning of the season or in late May, early June for the start of the Mediterranean season and head for Palma de Mallorca. And you know, make a resume, highlight your skills. Uh, it's not so much about having industry experience. Again, they are looking for people that are keen, that work hard, that are willing to learn and that are happy to immerse themselves in, in this new way of life. So often at times if you walk the dock, as, it call, as it's called, and you hand out your resume, resume you chat to people, you will actually be successful. I mean, I, I had no industry experience and I managed to get a job in one day when I really, really needed it. And to me, that's perfect example. You know, I needed it. I wanted it badly. I went for it and I got rewarded for it. Yeah, exactly. So just pursue these opportunities. And especially if you're able to be there on site that makes probably a lot of things easier but so in your book you talk a lot about these uh adventures and and your life story uh of which the the crewing opportunities and experiences are a big part of uh, so where can we find the book and uh dive deeper into all these uh, uh adventures so the the book is available uh from my website and it's shipped worldwide um, that's reginapetramayer.com. Um, if you order from the website, you'll get a signed and personally dedicated copy. Um, of course, you can also order the book um, on your favorite online bookstore like Book Depository, Amazon, and it's also available in any ebook shop. So, you know, Apple Books, um, Kindle whatever it's 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 out it's there. everywhere <laughs> should be relatively easy to find <laughs> exactly it's not hard to find especially because i'll put the links in the description so people can go find it it's just by clicking links so <laughs> we'll make it easy for you but thank you so much for being my guest today and and telling a little bit more about your experience and the book is just a wonderful read uh, it's just a tale of sailing life and ocean adventures and land adventures and relationships and you know finding yourself and and all good things so yeah thank you for writing that and, and sharing your story with us today oh thank you annika for having me like it, it's such an honor and it's always fun to talk with you know, fellow adventurers and sailors, and it keeps the story alive. And it sort of also instills more of a desire to go out and explore more. And that's a wrap for this week. I hope you liked this episode. And if you would like to learn more about Regina's travels, go read her book. As always, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in week after week. 
If you want to come say hi, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Liverpool Sailing Podcast, so don't be shy. Next week, it's time for something different again, so bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.